And given that physicians historically have been the ones making those choices, but increasingly the apparatus of, of HTA and economic evaluation is part of the process of making these decisions, physicians now have to understand those methods and, and match them to their own clinical expertise so that they are joint decision makers throughout the process of choosing. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to season six of Parallaxa. It's uh, surreal to imagine that we're into season six and have been doing this for the past um, six years now. Um, and um, it's been great to host all these episodes with uh, our esteemed guests and faculty um, from across the globe. Uh, and it's been terrific that we now have a global audience, uh, you know, spanning um, the vast majority of the continents. Um, so I'm excited to bring season six to all of you. Delighted to welcome um, a colleague um, and a friend, um, actually also my teacher, uh, to be honest with you, um, is uh, Alex Carter, who is a senior lecturer uh, in the Department of Health Policy at the London School of Economics. Um, his core focus is um, uh, is health economics. He's also the program director for the Masters in Economics, Outcomes, and Management in Clinical Sciences. Um, you know, a Masters which um, I aspire to finish this year in 2024. So, with that introduction. Alex, welcome to Parallax, and thank you so much for doing this for us. Thank you, thank you for the invitation. Very pleased to be here, and I'm I'm sure you'll get to the end of your MSc. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Uh, so, um, Alex, I um, we first met uh, now summer of 2023, so last year in June, um, and um, you know I think um, what impressed me was your approach to health economics, which was relevant to me as. A physician and as a clinician, and I thought that this would be um, a good episode to record, you know, with you as faculty and as guest, because as we progress into 2024 and beyond, uh, more more than ever now, more than ever, you know, an understanding of health economics and outcomes for the clinician at the trenches and for the clinician at the bedside. And for clinicians who are seeking leadership positions, has become crucial. Uh, you know, has become a quintessential component of of physician leadership. Um, so, with that, I, I want to invite comments from you as to why, at the first place, uh, you know, uh, an organization, an institution of the caliber and of the reputation of London School of Economics within the realm of health policy and social sciences and and economics decided to design this program for clinicians? Well, it, there's a, a good narrative to that. And, and it starts with one word, which uh, an, a group of economists would use, which is demand. Uh, so there's demand for a program like this, which indicates the changing world or changing markets, again, to use that t terminology. And the demand comes from the increasing challenges, let's say, that clinicians face. It's, I'm not a clinician, so I, I can't I feel somewhat uncomfortable talking 
on the side of a clinician, but what I hear and what we heard um, in the early days of this particular executive MSC was that to navigate the challenges that health systems face required more of a clinician than ever before. And clinicians, clinicians have a funny habit in, in my experience of of being very competent at a number of things and being very good at making making more of themselves, adding layers to their to their knowledge. Um, so if it's not years and years of clinical exams to become expert in in, in a particular specialty, it's gaining expertise in digital health. On top of that, it might be expertise in quality improvement. And increasingly, health economics, outcomes and management is another string that has to go into the bow that that, the modern clinicians um, simply need to navigate the the challenges in front of them. And so the program that we conceived of, and admittedly, I wasn't uh, one of the originators of our executive MSc, but the curriculum was designed with the European Society of Cardiology so that it was co-designed uh, with clinicians to to address those challenges and deliver the teaching and the learning in a in a fashion that is conducive to the to the rigors and the the tough schedule that clinicians have. Uh, so the the whole idea, of, the, of course, the design of the curriculum, which is comprehensive was that it had to fit to the workloads the clinicians face. Um, and of course, those workloads have only become more challenging, more, uh, more heavier in the last few years following the coronavirus pandemic. So that tells you a little bit about the rationale, the motivation for the executive MSc. Uh, it tells you how we approach the design of the curriculum and, and why it's In fact, we're seeing more and more demand. We actually think that this is really just the beginning uh, for this particular program directed towards clinicians and clinical scientists. So in a nutshell, there are are a few comments to, to kick us off. Um, yes, and so th- thank you for that, Alex. And I, uh, you know, I think just to give the listeners a bit of a background um, as to my introduction into this program um, was back in 2018 is when I first started. Now I think life happened for me in between uh, these years, and I had to interrupt my studies and go back to school uh, in 2023. Um, <clears throat> I think my um, foray into economics outcomes and management was an advice from a mentor, Professor Deepak Bhatt, who actually has been a guest on the show, that, you know, whilst I'd written um, several, uh, written on several topics, um, you know, one being how physicians get compensated for, you know, their services. It's um, a paper in the European Heart Journal, um, Mm. which was published in 2018, garnered a lot of attention. Now, this was written at the time when I was at an academic health center and we focused the discussion on how physicians get reimbursed for um, their teaching services and for their research um, juxtaposed to their clinical um, you know, compensation. Uh, and we were making an argument that a lot of the activities that physicians partake in an academic health center aren't particularly measurable or measured 
or they're hard to quantify. So there's, it's really hard to put a dollar value amount to, you know, a clinician being a mentor or a clinician being a teacher um, or, or a clinician thinking critically for the advancement of the field of science in their own particular, dom- in their own particular clinical domain. Um, so I think that that paper um, garnered a lot of attention, um, you know, has been downloaded several thousands of times, uh, and we got critical feedback from uh, others in um, within the realm of academic health centers and and you know academic medicine, what have you. Um, and so you know, my, my mentor said, you know, the fact that you're writing these papers in policy, I think it's um, prudent for your career to actually go ahead and get a degree um, encompassing, you know, aspects of, you know, policymaking and, and outcomes and management and, and health economics. And so that was my foray into the program. But now that it's been in its, and I think that those were sort of the earlier years that was, uh, the, my cohort was particularly focused on cardiologists, uh, which I, I understand is now expanded to clinical sciences to encompass other specialties. Uh, but in the ensuing years that have passed since uh, six years now, from 2018 to 2024, how have you seen the evolution of the program um, as someone who now directs it? Well, as you, as you rightly pointed out, that this program originated as, a, as an idea between the European Society of Cardiology. So the cardiologists and cardiovascular um, specialists uh, and, and scientists were the ones who recognized the value of these disciplines for that specialty first. So the evolution, which is explicit in the, in the change of, of name to clinical sciences as opposed to cardiovascular sciences, typifies, again, this expansion and a, a wider realization. So there's something of a first mover advantage that the cardiovascular community has. And I think, again, to me, is a signal of the innovation that starts and uh, started in this case in, in cardiovascular medicine that's spilling over into the other disciplines. And as a curriculum, the core components of it haven't, haven't evolved that much over seven years. And that's the, the content of each of the core pillars of economics outcomes and how we measure population level outcomes. That's what that refers to. And management, how to manage teams, how to manage quality. These three pillars of the program haven't changed substantially in the seven years because in cardiovascular sciences and now in the wider clinical sciences, we have a, a, a large stock of demand that that needs to be filled in these disciplines worldwide. The evolution now in each of those disciplines is, is moving with the literature, of course. So for each of those disciplines, what's current in health economics is what we update and how we're evolving the program. And we might talk about you know the specifics of each of those disciplines that that is changing and that, that, that is contemporary to the fields. Um, in fact, I'd leave some of the aspects of management in particular to, to the, the relevant experts that we have in our faculty for that. I can talk more to health economics and, and outcomes research. Uh, but really, I think that that evolution is 
it's ongoing. We're continuing reviewing the curriculum, but you can just see that the, the demand is not just in cardiovascular medicine for these disciplines. It's across the clinical sciences because health systems are increasingly becoming integrated and the need for all of the specialties to be able to speak the same language in these terms as each other, we think is, is a major reason for the, for the next iteration of this program. Um, yes, and uh, um, thank you for answering that from the perspective of um, of a program director and and curriculum uh, development. Uh, you know, I think I would probably extrapolate the question for you to answer it from the perspective of the uh, the cohort that you've seen evolve over the past you know seven years. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, like we've discussed, you know, before that it was it initiated as um, a program which was designed for cardiologists through the European Heart Academy and the European Study of Cardiology um, now encompasses other clinical specialties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in in my own experience, uh, you know, now being there three times um, uh, to, to attend various, um, you know, courses um, in person, um, I've seen um, the program evolve to uh, include not only physicians, um, you know, which are, of course, an indispensable work workforce within the administration um, of medicine, but also allied healthcare professionals, um, which, you know, in our lives as physicians and clinicians on a daily basis, we may not have the opportunity to interact with. Um, and I, I found it fascinating that I was amidst a cohort of people now uh, you know, in those lecture uh, theaters in in London, where I was listening to, um, you know, other allied healthcare professionals who, and their perspective um, in managing and and disseminating healthcare, which I would not otherwise have. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thanks for you know really bringing that to the fore because it it it's not just about. Uh, physicians, as you say, increasingly the, the cohorts that we've been fortunate enough to, to welcome onto the program have, have encompassed, uh, of course, m- multinational groups that kind of goes without saying, you know, there are people from around the world that, that come onto the programs. So they offer a different perspective based on the health systems they're used to working in. So the learning just on, on that alone is huge. That's before we get into clinical specialties uh, that, that are increasingly diverse. And the allied health professionals that you're referring to, uh, for example, we've had bioengineers. We've had some individuals from industry taking the program. Um, and basically, industry, engineers, and clinical scientists are sat in the room from a different perspective, taking a different perspective on different health systems, different disciplines. And then we have these elevated conversations year on year because uh, that mix is is completely unique and very, very productive for learning, but also, as I said before, really productive for the overarching objective that most health systems that are developed around the world are seeking, which is better integration. 
an integration, of course, has this major technical element to it, which is uh, at a minimum becoming digitalized, uh, but also there's something around that common language uh, and understanding how, how those systems integrate, not just on technical levels, but on social levels. So this, this idea of socio-technical systems is an objective that health systems um, have, to, have to work with. They have to work with the social and the technical elements. And what we have in our cohorts increasingly reflects that, that there are all these disciplines from different perspectives who have to learn the same language or, and are willing to and excited to learn the, the, the same language in, in health economics, outcomes and management. And, and we're only seeing more of that, frankly. And, and as I say, year on year, these cohorts become more diverse and therefore the, the content of the, of the discussions becomes even more sophisticated. And frankly, I, I felt a little bit uncomfortable being referred to as your teacher there, Anka, but I'm also being taught too as, as a faculty member on these programs. The learning goes both ways, frankly, and I think that's another core pillar to how we approach uh, approach the teaching and how we we really learn more and more and more year on year because of the diversity that we welcome into the classroom. Yeah, no, I, I think of, um, it's been, it, personally, it's been very enriching for me to you know, be a recipient of that diversity and to sort of sit back and and hear from other allied healthcare professionals uh, who, you know, walk into the same building as we do as clinicians and have a completely different perspective on how to administer and fund healthcare. Um, which which brings me to, um, you know, to, to the next uh, question. And I think it's it's sort of a good segue for us to delve into some of the specifics of the program. So maybe each of the three components of the program um, and I think it's it's important to highlight those components so that someone who's listening, uh, which you know most of our audience are, uh, you know, early career cardiologists and you know cardiology at large, um, not only including physicians but other allied healthcare professionals as well, you know, across the globe, um, in over sixty countries now. Um, I, I do think a lot of the challenges that we all face as healthcare providers are similar compared with some of the unique barriers to healthcare, which we may um, encounter in our, in our, you know, daily lives in, in, in our respective countries. Um, so I, I, I think um, maybe you explaining the components to, you know, our colleagues who are, who are listening, you know, trainees, medical students, practicing cardiologists or clinicians, why would um, they be interested in a program like this? Absolutely. So health economics is really a question or addresses questions of how to allocate scarce resources efficiently. And efficient, efficiency is, is a broader concept than simply trying to maximize the output or throughput of patients at a given cost or to try to reduce those costs. For an economist, it's about maximizing utility. Utility to a society from the resources and allocating those scarce resources to maximize utility. You can think of utility as, as well-being. And, and that's what economists do. So health economics is the business of, of, of trying to figure out how to allocate those scarce resources. Um, Another useful way of thinking about economics and, and then health economics is that it's the science of choice. 
uh, ultimately. So this this question of how to allocate resources, there's various theories that would guide the way you do the science, um, how we make those choices. And so a large part of the component of, of the program that is health economics is around economic evaluation, which is the term we give to what is commonly known or more commonly known as cost effectiveness analysis, which is our formal way, our formal set of methods linked very closely to health technology assessment, which is also a broader set of methods used to determine how we should be allocating resources, which interventions we should choose given competing interventions and competing alternatives, which ones should we choose to maximize an outcome on the basis of maximizing utility. Um, so that's health economics in a nutshell. And, and the program has several modules that are core for that reason, that it's, it's, it's core to the program. It's, it's core to the training. And given that physicians historically have, have been the ones making those choices, uh, but increasingly the apparatus of, of HTA and economic evaluation is is part of the process of making these decisions. Actually, you know, physicians now have to understand those methods and, and match them to their own clinical expertise so that they are joint decision makers throughout the throughout the process of choosing. That's quite a a long way of saying that it's 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 important for physicians, allied health professionals, clinical scientists to understand how we make choices in health systems beyond the immediate provider and service provision environment. So that's what we teach. On the outcome side, we, we essentially teach the way in which we measure the performance of health systems uh, in terms of population outcomes. Um, the outcomes that matter to health systems, you can imagine are slightly more nuanced than clinical outcomes. And from the system's perspective, population outcomes are the ones that really matter. So we think, and, and for years we've, we've delivered modules that explore exactly how we measure the performance of these, of health systems at this population level, looking at population outcomes. So that physicians are aware that their objectives of maximizing an outcome, which may be say at 30 days, a 30 day outcome might be a typical measuring clinical research. That's got a link to this bigger picture of what health systems are trying to achieve on say an annual basis, uh, a five year policy cycle, for example, there are other metrics that really matter. So understanding those as a as a clinician or clinic, clinical scientist is, is crucial to understanding how the system is operating around you. As I say, that might be far more expansive um, than, than what clinical researchers would typically look at. And, and I don't want to generalize too much around just a, a 30 day outcome, but hopefully the, the point is, uh, the point is quite clear that there are many other outcomes that policymakers are interested in that, that clinicians and clinical scientists should also uh, be aware of. So that's the, the second pillar. And then the third pillar of management is, is in some ways the most um, practical element of the training that we offer, um, delivered by uh, 
experts in management, uh, again, not myself, as I mentioned um, earlier in the, in the pod, but the fundamentals of management tap into elements of leadership, elements of accounting uh, and revenue cycle management. And we teach some of those core principles on the program so that clinicians who could get very far in their clinical careers without understanding or having a formal training in management will have that element uh, weaved into this MSc program because it's, it's fundamental actually to making the other two elements work in practice. The management discipline is the way in which we think that the rubber meets the road. You can understand health economics. You can understand population level outcomes. The management piece is really how you interface all of that knowledge into practice in your professional practice. So there's a logical uh, flow to those three elements. And I should just add that actually we, we've enhanced the program in the last uh, year and recently introduced uh, a parallel uh, program with our colleagues at the Department of Management at the LSE, which is the leading, one of the leading, if not the leading department for management in Europe and therefore the world, um, training, uh, offering training in leadership um, as a distinct element of management that has to be very well uh, theorized. Um, over the next two years, the incoming cohort that arrived with us in December will have the opportunity to learn about leadership theory from our colleagues in the Department of Management and actually engage in a lot of reflective practice, formal reflective practice, as they learn the economic theory, the theory, uh, theory of practice of measuring outcomes and management, fundamentals of management. They'll have a leadership program in parallel that helps them focus all of that theory into their professional practice because this element of leadership is critical to, again, interfacing all the theory that we can have in our head, but applying it in practice is, is the hard bit, and that involves leadership. Since we've added this, this other element uh, to the program, just in the last year we've developed this, and we're, we're very excited about it, not least of all because of the caliber of the academics we've, uh, we're collaborating with internally at the LSE to deliver that. So far, our candidates are very happy with what they've received. So um, we're at the early stages of really enhancing this leadership element, uh, but we think it's, again, critical to making sure that all that theory could be put into practice. Yes, no, I, I, and I think, uh, I mean, the, the quality of um, didactics that, you know, I'm speaking from my own uh, perspective as someone who, who sat in those, um, you know, lecture theaters and, and lecture halls and was listening to a diverse um, group of you know faculty members and and thought leaders and and economists um, you know including also the 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 special evening symposia. Mm. I mean, I, I think the the breadth of um, I think knowledge that is um, garnered in in that two week curriculum is it's just this incredible it's sort of like uh for an for an academic like myself it's sort of like being a kid in the candy store um is is just is just um is exhaustive uh you know there are um there were portions during that week particularly the, the week in in health economics where 
you know, sort of felt, um, you know, outside my, uh, my ter- my familiar territory. So, you know, uncomfortable and, and that is where, you know, you know, expansion and growth occurs, um, you know, speaking philosophically, um, uh, you know, but, you know, but I, I think that a testament to, um, the program leadership is that, uh, sort of think through and carve out a potpourri of these diverse topics into one curriculum and, you know, putting them together in a way that it sort of flows and makes sense is commendable. It's, it's, it's truly, you know, a lot of work and is, is truly, truly commendable to, to you and your, and your colleagues at, at LSE. Thank you. I mean, it's, it, it's an ongoing journey for us. You know, the, the, there's a continual uh, process of, of uh, evaluation that, that takes place on our program. So it's, it's never finished work. Um, so I, I sort of hasten, hasten to add that, but I, I, I think, thanks again for the comment. It's, it's, it's welcome, but, but there's, there's always more to do. There's always more to refine in these curricula and that's because the field is, these fields are challenging and, um, and we have to move with the times we have to stay contemporary and, um, probably see my in, in, attention to detail kicked in here. It's difficult for me to if you take a nice compliment from you in, in some sense, I go, because there's this continual preoccupation with improvement in, in, just in this program, you know, there's, there's always more to do. Yeah. And, you know, there is for all of us, you know, without a question, at least in cardiology, there, there are a lot of cost effectiveness papers, which are written um, in part, because also cardiology, like you mentioned earlier, is at the forefront of innovation and, I think whether it's devices or drugs, you know, we're at the forefront of innovating um, and, you know, exploring the next horizon within cardiovascular medicine. So I think when you have all these incoming technologies, I think health technology assessment becomes important. I think cost-effectiveness analysis becomes important. Um, And so when these papers are getting published in leading cardiology journals, which all of us you know, are exposed to or read at least, or should read um, as part of our, you know, weekly reading process. Um, I now have a renewed understanding of concepts like qualities, Markov models, and and ICERs, um, which I, and I was trying to read cost-effectiveness analysis papers even before I was part of this program. And now I've 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 this renewed um, understanding of the core concepts of what I've just of what I've just enumerated, and I would think it would be hard to understand these papers without having gone through a structured curriculum like I went through at LSE. What what is your comment here? Um. I, th- I think in general that that's that's correct. I, I mean, I wouldn't. I'm inclined to say that you know, uh, but and there will always be the outliers who who are able to understand all the concepts and the theory independently of their their autodidacts. But I, I think there's a question of efficiency in learning about these concepts. Um, they are. As you've rightly pointed out, there are more and more of these types of publications. And in some sense, with the volume of, of these um, of this research that's being produced, with that comes the added responsibility 
uh, of scientists, you know, ourselves, listeners, to be able to examine them carefully with a very good, uh, sound understanding of the underlying theory and principles that are informing the entire set of methods. Um, so in essence, you could look at an ISA, which, you know, the equivalent of, a, of the primary endpoint of a cost-effectiveness analysis is the ISA. This is the incremental cost-effectiveness ratio. You could look at that and you can interpret that because if the number is above a certain threshold, the willingness to pay threshold in the United Kingdom, that would be around 30,000 pounds per quality. If you have a number that's comparing as a ratio to interventions and uh, the intervention that is new versus say the standard of care comes in at 30,500 pounds per quality then you'd be readily able to interpret that as a as not as outside the willingness to pay threshold so not cost effective to put it in a sort of simple simple parlance but if you understand the principles and the theory that that, that go into to, to the use of the isa then you might think of that a little bit more critically you might think about what is the theory and and, and there's decades of theory that culminated in the production of a of a quality, this quality adjusted life year unit of measure, and then you get into another level of um, scrutiny and scientific inquiry around the use of the quality, and, and it opens up, let's say, just several other doors that are that are critical to understanding exactly what that thirty thousand and five hundred pounds per quality means in the big picture and in the context of the, the science that, that culminates in the, in the production of an ISA in a single article. And I mention that because it, it is fundamentally important to understand these concepts as the volume of these papers grows, because there may be other ways, there may be better ways on the horizon of trying to come up with an endpoint and measure that allows us to refine and improve the way in which we allocate these scarce resources in health systems. And why does that matter? Again, really fundamentally, it matters because the science has to get us as close as we can to making sure that we, we choose the technologies and the interventions, the services that maximize benefits to people, patients, given that we could always allocate those same resources some other way. And if we don't allocate those resources efficiently, optimally, using correct methods, uh, there's always a risk. And, and this, is, this is what preoccupies me, that we could have improved the quality of, of life and the number of life years for many more people if we had, a, had better measures, more appropriate measures. Um, if we're being extremely critical of, of, of these methods. Um, so there's the motivation, I think the, the strong motivation for having a, an end-to-end -end training in these methods from the experts. It's efficient, but also there are these issues underlying these articles that we have to become more sophisticated at interrogating and understanding to move the field forward.
Yes, no, I, you know, like I said, I think it was um, um, just a different level of understanding for me, um, sort of trying to dissect and, you know, examine these publications after having gone through a, a, a structured didactic explaining how these uh, concepts are derived and what they truly mean. And, you know, I wondered what part of me was interpreting them in 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 a specific light before having gone through the structured uh, didactic and, and curriculum. And, you know, I strongly believe and, and would advocate for um, having these concepts, you know, taught in some way, shape or form in, in, a, in a medical school curriculum. Um, because, you know, now more than ever, um, funding healthcare keeps becoming a challenge globally. Um, it's not only, uh, I think, confined to one particular nation, uh, or, you know, it's uh, across the spectrum of um, of all the countries. And, you know, I think that's the that's the other value of, of, a, of a place like LSE is like you, uh, you know, hobnob, uh, for lack of a better word, with a global audience. And you realize that there are more similarities than there are differences when it comes to challenges uh, that all of us face as healthcare professionals, uh, you know, in our, in our fields, uh, trying to deliver, you know, healthcare for the populations and for the communities that we serve. Um, so, um, Alex, final few minutes here. I want, I want to delve into some of the work that you are doing with the EU that has value, uh, for our listenership. Um, and it has value because it sort of highlights, um, the strength of the faculty who have structured this program. Um, so, um, if you, if you want to share what you're doing with the EU, I think that'll be very, um, fascinating for us to hear. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd be very happy to, because if nothing else, it helps bring to life some of the concepts I've been referring to in a, in a major EU Horizon funded program, and and of course the EU Horizon program uh, for international listeners is is the ninety billion euro fund um, that 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 drives research across the EU. Uh, the UK obviously had a bit of a uh, been in a grey area uh, with with the EU in this respect over the last couple of years. In fact, we are now part of the EU Horizon program once again, even though we're not in the EU. This is just a bit of context, but within the the funding allocated by the Horizon program, uh, I, I was fortunate in many ways to to already be working with clinicians who I, I give credit to for having uh, a fantastic idea for uh, a, 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 ten, a hypertension project uh, that that were underway or got underway at the beginning of last year. Um, again, in hypertension. Uh, the project's called Hypermarker, um, and there's a website for it. In fact, um, listeners could go to hypermarker.eu. Uh, I hope I'm getting that right to get more of the details and and, and meet the, the the key members of the team. Uh, again, clinicians and clinical researchers uh, from the UK and across Europe who approached us at the LSE to drive uh, a, a major work package. Uh, in health economics to go alongside this work. The project aims to optimize the prescription of antihypertensives. Um, and 
the way that the the, 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 the entire study is designed is that initially and in this first phase, um, genomic and metabolomic data will be used to uh, optimize or essentially de derive a new algorithm, such as using mach machine learning techniques with these huge biobank data sets from across Europe to come up with algorithms that uh, allow us to optimize the prescriptions of old antihypertensives in patients. And so obviously cardiologists and, and cardiovascular specialists listening to this will, will be very familiar with these drugs. Um, the idea is to use new data, big data sets to optimize prescriptions. The way the algorithm will be implemented is through a decision support system, which again, reflects the role I think that technology, let's say artificial intelligence will increasingly be used alongside clinical practice. It's in this decision support system uh, mode, that'll be the product. Uh, and our role as work package leads for the health economics component of this 10 uh, million euro program over the next uh, four years, uh, well, it's a four year program, I should say we're in year two, is to look at first, what are the costs of and the cost drivers in treating hypertension in some of the major EU countries. We can't do all of the EU countries, but we can look at the costs of, of hypertension in new ways uh, and look at the drivers of those costs in the care pathways in probably the Netherlands and the UK. They're the two countries that we'll focus on. Secondly, we'll uh, take the data that, that, that um, data that will be derived from a randomized controlled trial of the decision support system that's produced from the biobank data. And we'll look at how outcomes and costs change when optimal therapy is delivered using the decision support system. We, we're calling it optimal now. I mean, we should wait until the results come in. But we'll be able to conduct a trial-based economic evaluation of, um, of the decision support system itself. That's our second objective for the for our health economics work package. And then the third component is the link to policy and reimbursement. So this is a huge consortium. We have industry partners. We have several academics from Spain, uh, Spain, Netherlands, Germany, um, and of course the UK. That we're all collaborating together again with industry. The question is for us in this third objective how would you get that decision support system reimbursed? So our job is to understand the, the infrastructure and the hurdles to widespread adoption of a decision support system like this across the EU. Um, it's not simply a question of assuming that the randomized control trial will, and the cost effectiveness analysis that results will mean it's a green light, the decision support system can be implemented across the EU. Uh, we actually have to provide a roadmap. We have to provide an economic case for how that actually works um, across across the European Union. So that's our third objective in the health economics work package, and it talks to this element of, of policy and reimbursement. Um, so 
a very exciting project in some, uh, really fortunate to be a part of it, but it talks to the, the strong links that we have at the London School of Economics with clinicians across Europe and the United States and, and, and in fact, uh, North America and beyond. Beyond, I hasten to add, um, we really have a huge global footprint. But Hypermarker is a great example of, of, of how those collaborations are manifest in a four-year program where the Health Economics Work Package is a major component to the hopefully eventual success of, of, of this uh, piece of research. Um, I could elaborate even further, Anka, but I'd, I'd, I'd better rein myself in a little bit. Oh, no, this is, um, I mean, just fascinating to hear the scale um, at which this is being administered and delivered. Uh, you know, certainly can't wait to see what you've garnered and what are some of the um, some of the iterations which will come forth from this global work. Uh, so, uh, which you know, I think is um, I think to, to summarize um, the program is 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 one word for me is I think global um, is truly global. Uh, uh, so, Alex, uh, this has been a fascinating. Uh, conversation and you know i want to sincerely thank you again for making the time i know it's late uh, in the evening in in the uk there um any final closing remarks um for our listeners um and for for parallax i just say i really appreciate what you're what you're doing with the podcast and uh, i think the the topics that you and i have talked about uh, you know i would encourage other people to engage in i i think I'm totally biased. I think health economics and health policy is increasingly important for clinical scientists around the world. And the best I can do as a final remark is to say that I, I welcome anyone who's listening to to engage with us. Contact uh, me, uh, even through podcast, uh, so that we can get our own conversation going. I, I look forward to learning from others um, and, and discussing my point of view with many, many more people. Uh, as we try to, as we try to improve, in short. So that would be a final comment. And uh, thanks again uh, for joining us. Uh, to all the listeners, we welcome your feedback. Uh, you know, do share um, your feedback with us. We take it very seriously. Um, you know, across the spectrum of all social media platforms um, or podcast platforms. Um, you know, Spotify, SoundCloud. Um, Apple Podcasts, uh, or email us on what you thought about um, the content for the season opener for season six uh, and other episodes to follow. Um, we'll see you back another Monday. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.